0: What's up, traders? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. As you can see, I'm not in my studio this week as we are just a few days away from Christmas, so I want to wish you and your families a very Merry Christmas. I have a very special and fun show for you guys today. As you know, I've been doing live stream for the past several months, so I took my favorite moment from each of the live streams and put them into a two-part series. In today's part one, you'll hear from Brian Shannon, Matt, Pax Kenna, Julia Cordova, Jimmy Driscoll, Denise Schull, Tracy Schuchart, Jared Tendler, and Ryan Clark. Man, I love putting these clips together for you. Each of these guests is such a good friend of mine, and I am so thankful for the time to join me on the Futures Radio Show live stream. Never miss an episode of the Futures Radio Show podcast live streams by clicking on that subscribe button right there. Before I bring you today's show, I want to remind you about Micro ETH at CME Group. Micro ETH is one-tenth the size of one ETH. To learn more, go to cmegroup.com. And remember, traders, Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group, Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the e-mini Russell 2000 futures symbol, RTY. And Micro E-Mini Russell 2000 Future symbol M2K. To learn more about Footsie Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. I, I want to start with really basics as to what explain what the VWEP is. I know most people know it's probably one of the most popular indicators out there, but I think you should just give a quick example or just quick definition of what it is and how you started to implement it into your strategy.
1: Yeah. So you can really think of it as a dollar cost average. So if you're used to buy, if people are used to buying $1,000 worth of Apple every month, at the end of the year, you've purchased $12,000 worth of the stock. But one month, you might have purchased 80 shares. One month, you might have purchased 200 shares. Now, maybe not that dramatic, but at the end of the year, it's your cost basis. It's your volume weighted average price. So the volume-weighted average price you know, traditionally is measured for one day from the very you know, beginning. I'm going to talk in equity terms, 9.30 AM Eastern to 4 PM, and it is cumulative throughout the day. The anchored VWAP allows you to pick any point in time. So for instance, right now, I'm watching this uh, volume-weighted average price anchored from the August low uh, in the SPY. And that would bring us, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, the August low that brings us down to about four forty eight thirteen. We're you know it's about a dollar and a half lower, and I think on this move we're likely to hit that in the next day or two. I first started using it in two thousand three with uh, RealTick software. They only had it available for the day, but then they also had a trend line that you could put on one spot and drag it forward, and it would be a, a horizontal line that would move up and down. I used to look at it and go, wow, it's really weird how sometimes it touches that line and bounces perfectly from it. Wouldn't it be cool if you could click the point from an earnings report from year to date for the beginning of the month? These are all important levels that I like to anchor from to give me insight into who's in control from any point in time, the buyers or the sellers.
0: Yeah. And I think for any trader listening to this, you could think about a time in the market that something happened. And maybe it was a sharp move. Let's just look at Ethereum yesterday had that rip move lower. You might want to anchor it from either the recent high or from this low. And I'm talking about Ethereum because I've been looking to trade a little bit. And I'm going to ask you actually how you use it in crypto a little bit later. What time or even an unemployment number, a Fed number, an important data point. You've talked to me about how you'll do it from earnings and how there was a move from there. I think that's what really opened it up for me is being able to anchor it from an area to actually identify what has happened from that point going forward? Instead of just a moving average or something like that, it's actually a tool that from that point going forward, it's giving you information as to what's happening now. It brings, it keeps me very present.
1: Yeah, for, for me, it's the same way. It, it's I, I anchor it from any point in time. So week to date, from the beginning of the move, like you said, from a Federal Reserve, it can tell us who's in control from that meeting. And you'll see that oftentimes it'll get tested as support or resistance. So it tells me who's in control from that point in time. Exactly. Earnings report. How is it being digested? Are the buyers maintaining control? Are they defending that vo- av- average price since the event? That's what we want to look at.
0: If the AVWAP is higher than the current trading price, it shows that the bulls are in control.
1: No, actually, the opposite. If the volume weighted average price right, is hold below that. prices and prices are above it, and that VWAP is rising, it tells us the buyers are in control. Whereas versus today in the S&P 500 or a lot of stocks, if you look at it from the very beginning of the day, we're below that volume weighted average price. We're making lower highs and lower lows below that, showing us that maybe if you're like this super scalper guy that you can you know still make some money on the long side. But for the day today, the sellers at this point remain in control so it's guilty until proven innocent, at least on that time frame. And that's where it gets confusing for a lot of people is maybe they don't have their time frame defined or they're looking at the longer term time frame and saying, hey, I still like it and just buying it as it pulls back rather than waiting for the evidence that the buyers have actually regained control. One of of the things I don't like, one of the phrases I, I dislike is buy the dip. Because it, it just, oh. it's uh, it, to me, it's uneducated. It, there's nothing wrong with buying strength after the dip. But to stick bids in as it's just plummeting in front of you doesn't make any sense at all.
0: No, I, I, we both 100% agree on that. Yeah. So do you wait for the pullbacks to come? Let's just say, and this is totally hypothetical. We're gonna, I want to be very general here. If yeah. you have a market that's holding above the VWAP and you want to buy the dip, are you waiting for it to test it? And then do you lean on it? We call it futures, we call it lean. And then we yeah, stop if it yeah. fails to blow it. Just give us the general thought process on how that works.
1: All right, so I like to call it a level of interest. It has the potential to become support as it pulls back to that volume weighted average price. So I was talking about the S&P and this 448 level. Now that has, that's a level of interest to me. If it pulls back there, what I'm gonna do is one I'm anticipating that will be the level that maybe shorts start to cover, sideline money comes in, and I want to look at it then on a shorter term time frame and look for the actual evidence that the buyers are defending that level. Now, if you're looking at like a one minute chart and in, in the daily VWAP, sometimes it'll it's amazing it'll hit that number to the penny and then just rock it off of it. Whereas the longer it's been in taking formation, that volume weighted average price, it'll come down, it'll start to you know, see a little bit of a battle in there, maybe cross back and forth above it a little bit. It's really similar to the, the way I would use a moving average. It's a level of yep. interest to say, okay, now we're at this important level. Hey, and it's the 20 day moving average, and it's a 38.2% retracement of whatever. So now I want to look very carefully on the shorter term timeframe and anticipate where the buyers take control. I want to see a very short term higher high and then set my stop below the higher low and let's see if we get it, if, if it's, that's the place. And then as far as the upside potential goes, what I'll do is I'll have a VWAP anchored off of the recent high. So in the S&P 500, that would be off the high about four days ago. And that becomes a level of interest on the upside that it might run into. Since that down move began, are the exactly. sellers going to show up there once again?
0: How would you talk to the, to the traders out there to say to them, look it, this is how you start to develop your own style. Don't try to be like somebody else. You can learn from somebody else. Trying to be like them, I think you'll probably fail. But how go, to go about developing that type of their own personal style?
2: Oh God, that's it, it, such an important question. Such it's such a, a, a books can be written about this. The everybody's looking at the same two hundred day moving average, twenty day moving average, fourteen period, whatever. Everybody's looking at the same MACD stochastics. Everybody's looking at the same Elliott wave and GAN lines, and it's everybody's got the same information. I've got thirty five. I, I got I have CQG integrated clients, so I've got every study in the world. We're all looking at the same stuff. I, it, Margie Teller, I remember Margie having a conversation with Margie about this. And she said that everybody's looking at the same 200 day, what separates you from them? I was lucky enough uh, Ant, to have two incredibly important uh, mentors in my life, I, among all of these other mentors that didn't, you know, Ross Deutsch had no idea the effect that he had on my trading. I had Mickey Hoffman who, who taught me the, who taught us how to get in and out Scratch is as good as a winner. He would yell at me in class constantly about the is as good as a winner because I'm not here to scratch trades. I'm here to make money, Wait, scratch trades. It wasn't until the second phase of my career after MF Global failed, when I had no choice but to try to figure out how to adapt my style of trading from the floor to the pit that I realized just how important that is. I manage my positions different than I think everybody else does. So or not everybody, but many people if going back to the Mark Spitznagel sort of a theory. So anyway. And then I had Judd Hirschberg. Judd is the best technical analyst in the world. Now I don't. There are only a couple of technical analysts, and Judd taught me the basics of the opening range and so many other things. But there's only a couple of traders that I trust their technical information because, well, first of all, I don't know if somebody's looking at the right information. Do they have continuation settings up? Do they have continuation setting? All of this stuff. So I've had to learn how to do that myself. I've never considered myself a technical analyst. I consider myself a technical trader, but not a technical analyst. We all have to be able to, especially as discretionary point and click traders, we all have to be able to figure out what works for us. And as long as it's repeatable and it is consistent, then we have to learn how to put structure around that in our trading and then also importantly structure around that in our lives i need to spend screen time i need to be in front of the screen that does not mean that i need to be trading i need to be in front of my charts that does not mean that it's i don't look at charts during the trading day i don't i know where i'm going to trade already before the market opens i've got a plan that i wrote out the night before that i adjusted in the morning based off of the overnight price action and based on my positions I do my plan even when I'm on vacation. I was away with my family last week. I did my plan every morning. I sent it out to my traders. Um, I didn't trade at all. I know I'm getting a little bit off base. All of these things become parts of things that I picked up from traders along the way have become part of who I am today. When I sat down after MF Global in the winter of 2012, and I was no longer 100 lot packs or 500 lot packs, I was one lot packs. You know, my my older kids will remember this. We moved from Lake Forest back to the South Side. We had to I had to downsize and simplify my life, and it wasn't easy. But I had to then I had to adapt everything that I learned on the floor to the screens. What worked? Not everything worked. We were traders too. That's another thing. I didn't just I didn't if paper was at even I wasn't ninety five them. The paper was at even, I was looking to buy those evens. I lifted offers and I hit bids. I made markets and I could move the NASDAQ by myself, assuming that Anthony Coyne and all of the other big traders weren't in there. But that's an important point too. When all of the big traders in the NASDAQ, we would create the markets. So if I was, and Emo was long, and Tyler Belknap was long, and uh, uh, Ponarelli and and Danny G and, and uh, Stephen J, if we were all long, the market's gonna have a directional move. We're not fighting one another, we're gonna rally. And that's gonna create, we're gonna paint the tape and that's going to create some order flow. Banks are gonna come in and we're gonna rally off that. Now, if I'm long, Emo's long, and Panarelli and and Tyler are short, well, there's gonna be some back and forth and we're gonna have to wait for the paper to come in and show us. Algorithms are doing the same thing. Algorithms are doing the same thing. They're battling back and forth every day. They're here to make money. Algorithms are not designed to take risk like we were. We assumed risk. We were like the insurers of last resort. Algorithms are not designed to do that. So I had to learn how to go from being a market maker to a market taker, period. That was the major shift for me. I was no longer a big trader. I was a small trader.
0: What was it like going from a part-time trader to a full-time trader? How did you get to that point?
3: I was really lucky because I just jumped in full time all at once because I had done pretty well in my previous jobs. I was lucky that way, but I'm not sure I would have done it that way to begin with because it's a lot of pressure. So I think the first thing I would have wanted to do is have a track record of at least six months of profitability before I jumped in because I I bled money for you know, a couple of years, you, I, yeah. I did. So I wish I had, and when you're bleeding money, you get more desperate and dumber things because I'm just going to, now I'm going to put it all on red or black or totally. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the more desperate you are, the worse you trade and people, and I, I so this is the thing, this is one of the reasons I don't share my PNL. but I, I had a huge trading account to begin with. I don't, I don't want to say exactly, it's just, it was huge. And the reality is I could have shown amazing numbers on some days, but on the other days it was really horrible. And I know some people I was chatting with online at the time, you need to start smaller. And I was like, no, I don't, I'm smart. I can just, (laughs) I'll just uh, start big and I'll figure this out. And I I wish I had listened to that. I wish I had not just thought to myself, no, I can do this. It's important to have self-confidence. But it's more important to have a track record and to be responsible. So, I think it would have helped me to have a stream of income while I was learning because at some point, then I had lost so much that I was just like, "All right, now I don't care." And as soon as I started not caring, then it came together. So
0: it's weird how that is, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: I I, I talked about this. I can't remember with who. And, and I was saying, I think it was with Jared Tendler, I think, as we were talking about mindset. And I said to him, I said, why is it that I was such a good risk manager when I first put my money in my account? And then every time my account would get near zero, I would just blow it up. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, it was like, a, it was like a cry for help going, just get me out of this. I can't take it anymore. Why do you think that we do that? We'll talk a little trader psychology here. Why do you think that happens? And it happens a lot. And if you're out there listening, this has probably happened to you
3: yeah the lower your account goes the the worse trades you take totally. the really high risk low probability of winning, it's so like that's exactly the opposite of what probably you should be doing if you think about it, but yeah, you're super I don't know why i don't I don't know, but it's not even for me, it's once I figured out I was doing that I was like, oh, I suck more now than before. So. <laughs>
4: But yeah, oh, then when something.
3: I got to a point where I'm like, now I don't care. Now I've screwed myself for years. I might have to, whatever, go back to work and whatever. Then I was doing much
0: better. What's interesting to me too, because I don't understand why people have this mindset to where you went to full-time trading right away because you had enough capital in your accounts to survive. Okay. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. But I look at it and say, why do people... Struggle with the fact that you need to work while you trade. Why is that such a bad thing? I feel like so many people should be doing that. Way more people should be doing that. I was a member of the exchange on the trading floor, working for other traders. Totally humbled by the fact that I could barely afford to get there, but I was a member and I had a trading account. And it's like if I don't do that, I don't exist. It's like people don't get that you have to exist for some time. It it just drives me crazy.
3: Yeah, you know what else is too? When I when I had the three screens and I thought I was like. player from television or something. (laughs) No, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Like I couldn't go to the bathroom. Like I was just addicted to it. And the problem is when you're watching every tick and you don't have a plan, And when you have a plan you don't need to watch all of the charts as carefully as, as and and it wouldn't and so that was it too i think when because i have a smaller screen i'm forced to just know ahead of time if something happens what i'm going to do so that i don't get deer in headlights by watching every tick and freaking out about it
0: you put a ton of emphasis on preparation
3: yeah yeah and that's pretty much why i do the videos because It And it forces me, it it really does force me to be more responsible and to know ahead of time what I think. And if I say it out loud, it makes me accountable. Yes. A lot of times I have notes and I have labeled my lines long before I I share them. But if I share them, I just find that it makes me more responsible. And also sometimes I'll take trades that I don't share on Twitter that are just awful. And I'm like, geez, I should only take the ones that I share because I'm (laughs) high confidence in that, but I just kind of was like, oh, just do this other thing. And then it doesn't work out as well. So that's a reason it's difficult in a way, because people do love to troll you, especially if you get popular for whatever reason. But yeah, no, I just do it mostly for accountability for myself.
0: Why trade futures with TradeStation? You can trade over 160 futures contracts and over 240 futures options products from home, work, or on the go with a powerful, easy-to-use interface and prices that let you focus on padding your wallet, and not emptying it. TradeStation, helping you reach your financial edge. You were around all these brilliant guys, and I think options, if any market was able to transition over, was probably that over just the outright scalpers and the futures. Yeah. I think they had a harder, much harder time. And like you said at the beginning, I think you were spot on where you were like, you just had a stronger hand in the marketplace if you were in the options pit versus just yeah. the outright futures pit. So how did you make that transition? And what did you, I know that you ended up working for some props. We have some fellow friends yeah. that were in there. How did that? You work? know what?
5: Like I was, wor- I was like, I had come to the point where I was just trading my own money, trading like alone. In in the uh, Europe and still in the options pit, but it was like 2004, and they started to trade um, side by side futures with the on the electronic with the pit. And one day they the market moved like 25 basis points, and the pit didn't do anything. And we're like looking up at the screen, and we're seeing like the electronic move, and the pit's quiet. And I'm like, is that the market? Is that real? Can I do those? Because I have trade, you know what I mean? And and everyone stared at each other like, what just happened? And and at that moment, I realized this is, here it is.
0: Yeah.
5: This is, is the the game's changed. I need to re-educate myself on how futures move because all I am is an options trader at that point. I'm a great spreader. I'm a decent market maker. I'm a good position manager, but I don't know shit about futures. So I hightailed my ass out of the pit and over to a prop firm that that a friend of mine was in, and I, I still feel like that was the best prop firm like ever, like at the at, in, in its heyday, International Trading Group or whatever it was headed by Dave Ellis. But all my boys were over there. They that that went early.
0: Good crew, man. I know I mean, all those
5: guys. Not all of them, but I know a- shit. You, mean, want to about, you want to talk about you wanna talk about one room sending size into the market? Like, there was
0: some of the there best literally
5: like 50 guys in a room that would like all blast a thousand bonds or like <laughs> lift oh, yeah. five hundred S&Ps. Like these guys were out of their minds. And, the, and and the most fascinating part of it to me is none of them had or or most of them. never touched so it was like fascinating to learn from get in that environment and learn like about the organic movements of markets and 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 that was like dave ellis is was he was an SP trader he was in the pit
0: yeah his best friend gary Lev started the company but he was
5: like he's he's like a soul surfer trader like he's really into like the organic movements the the math behind it he's not you gotta have balls but he's not that guy so it was really great to get that like cerebral part of trading from a different mentor than the floor, which was always all's big was- risk. And, and that was really important because that situation is, I, I got there really early. And so I watched these SP traders come out of the pit and hit ITG, like one after another. Good. And these guys, like I was Literally trading. I was trying to lower my trades to the point where I was trading like maybe three or four times a day because I was starting to see the fact that there isn't a moment there. You, you shouldn't be just wildly clicking like you. And these SP traders would come out of the pit and they would trade like 80 times a day and then and, and would say it as if it was like something cool like, yeah, hey, I, I did 1600 round turns today. And it's, Hey, asshole start adapting because it's not about your round turns moron and so i witnessed that transition i witnessed people failing miserably at that transition and then i miss i but i also witnessed dudes like make the transition correctly. So I yeah. like that was invaluable watching these assholes come off the floor and trading 80 times a day and, bol- and, get, and getting fired two weeks and then watching an older guy come off the floor developing his charts. His, I was like, oh, OK, this is all right. I see. You know what I mean? It, it was fantastic to see both extremes.
0: Trade the global markets with trading technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. Traders go through a process, right? I have a show called Develop Your Edge and I do talk regularly about psychology, but I think so many traders spend so much time, Denise, trying to figure out the macroeconomic picture. They try to find the perfect technical strategy They look for all these other things. They spend so much time trying to develop edge, whether it's through macros or math or charts or whatever it is. And I don't think enough people think that the mental side of thing is an actual edge because I don't know that you can actually put your finger on it. Explain to everybody how the mental edge, how traders actually can have a mental edge and use that to become better traders.
4: Yeah. So... it it, it, like we have to get almost philosophical for a second. I mean, the market is nothing but other people executing on prices, for whatever reason, like, it's a social mechanism of perception, there's no actual reality, like it's a social mechanism. So That's a human thing. And we tend, particularly when we're first starting, I can remember this. So there's research that shows like the more we're using our ability to read other people, the better we are at predicting price action. So it doesn't matter whether you're using charts or fundamental analysis. All you're doing is saying, I think other people are going to react this way. Push the price up or down our prediction of other people is very tied to our own mental emotional state so there's the part of mental emotional state that's literally about understanding the market better because you're using your own humanity to understand the other market participants and then there's the part of mental emotional state that's risk management so, that you're not just acting out your own impulses and like your desire to make money or your need to be right or your fear of being wrong or your fear of missing out. Like, so there's two sides both market strategy that really has to be about other people, which is really based in your own understanding of the crowd, but then the risk management side, which is really you managing doing the things you want to do, being able to. Uh, Execute on that market read, mental edge is both of those. And you can certainly do market read without risk management. And then you give all your money back. You can do risk management with not so much market people read and you do okay, but you don't do as well as you could. If you do both sides of that coin, like using your own mental state to understand the market read side and understand your own self-management side. Then you've really got an edge over everyone who's either not doing either or certainly anyone who's only doing one. In a perfect world, someone realizes this is a social game from the get-go, like learning to play poker. People know that poker is a social game. You've got absolute meaning of the cards. But even from like, you know, the very first time anyone teaches you to play poker, they say, yeah, but you have to bet your cards versus what you think their cards are. So you start thinking like that from the very beginning, even though you have to learn all the technique of poker and the basic rules of poker and whatnot. I think trading the same. Not very many people do it because why? They don't feel confident that they know the rules of poker, let's say, or they don't feel confident that they know how to swing the golf club. So they think, learn the rules, learn the technique. But if you think about those situations, what's making the difference is the confidence, is the uh, is one's belief about themselves. So one's belief about oneself is a psychological thing. It's not like a thing in a book over here. So you might as well start with it from the very beginning, even if it's okay, maybe you're not gonna get super nuanced into every, feeling you might have about the market and you certainly should recognize i don't have any intuition yet because i haven't done this enough time to have intuition but my objective is to develop unconscious pattern recognition or intuition which is again a mental psychological thing
0: is how common is it that people that you speak to don't believe that they're actually ready to tackle and discuss trading psychology i think because i i think the reason is because they're not self-aware of actually what they need to tackle. Am I wrong on that?
4: Yeah, yeah, they think to play poker, all they need is the rules. That's the analogy. You think all you need is the perfect chart pattern. But your ability to act, even if you, first of all, there is no perfect chart pattern, but some are better than others. But like your ability to interpret that chart pattern is 100% a function of you reading other people in the market, and and knowing your own reaction. Here's another example. Like Rethink Group is coaching a major league baseball pitcher. And the other day he tweeted that he chooses his pitches on conviction and intuition. Like those are his feelings based on his experience. So, you know, I I can put it a different way. Like the, the secret to getting really great at anything is to understand the game and understand your reactions within the game, not just the the technicals of the game. So like a new trader could say, I'm going to try to understand the market more as a social game. I'm going to try to understand my own reactions. I'm going to try to understand my level of confidence or belief in whatever system I'm experimenting. Those are all Mental, psychological capital, trading psychology aspects of doing it. That just like the first time someone teaches you, you know what three aces mean. You think, yeah, but what do three aces mean in relationship to other people? Like you don't have a problem thinking about the psychology of it in poker. So why trading?
0: I don't think that people think enough about the end of the last day of the month and the first day of the month. Right. For for the last day of the month is notorious in bull markets for selling days. And the first day of the month is notorious for, for buying days. Yeah, um, absolutely.
6: Because you have to remember, it's not only are, you know, um, people readjusting their books, right, managers are readjusting their books, but that's like when people um, have their 401k entries, right? And so, um, you know, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of buying generally on the first day in a bull market.
0: Yeah, exactly. I know it's, it's one of my favorite trades. I remember when I was on the floor was the, the first day of the month, you know, because I, I started at the end of the 90s when I, everything was as bullish as, as it is now. Different, but um, just everybody who just, you learned how to trade it alongside. And the first day of the month was just like every trader was long. And the last day of the month, right before the close was the time where we where we'd do a lot of short uh, trading. What are maybe some names inside the Russell that you're looking at and maybe you know even as futures traders we can pull them up for potential leadership uh,
6: um i well um where do I got it? let me look i've got a lot on right now <laughs> um
0: and while you're pulling that up i mean i just want right. to pick your brain when you get yeah. to the point of like trying to pick some of these names in 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 the energy sector on the stock side what is your process for narrowing them down and, and choosing the ones you, you're choosing
6: um, well, I, I mean, generally, I'm, I've been staying away from sort of the large cap, definitely the oil majors, just because I think that if you look at what they're trying to do, um, you know, I think they're, you know, they've got a lot of money, then they got a lot of money in this ESG, right? And they've got a lot of capital that they've got to put into things like carbon capture, and all of these things that are politically motivated, where I think if you really want like a pure oil prep, pure oil play, I think what you should be looking at is more of like your mid-tier sector, right? And that's like a pure oil and gas, gas play because those guys aren't going to go into, you know, solar and wind.
0: <laughs> what do you think about the ESG, ESG play in general? That was one of the things I thought was going to be a big thing coming in with this administration because of a lot of reasons. But um, have you been looking at anything specifically purely off of this you know this president and maybe some plays off of you know with the esg i
6: mean, I mean really there's there's a lot of mixed messages and if you kind of look at the infrastructure pack, package you know there is some room for you know esg such as you know building out they want to build out you know um eb chargers um you know and things like that but really the, the package is really real heavy materials based, right? And heavy uh, fossil fuel based. I mean, as far as you know, trying to build out uh, ESG infrastructure, you're gonna need a ton of fossil fuels for that. You're gonna need a ton of base metals and industrial metals just to build those things. I mean, wind turbines, solar panels, even EV charging stations. I mean, all those require a ton of energy which is going to come from fossil fuels and a ton of materials. So really, um, I mean, I looked at the infrastructure package, which was, you know, they cut that EV uh, allocation by a lot from the initial package. Um, And everything else was pretty much focused more on, you know, um, repairing highways and bridges and building out railroads and, uh, you know, replacing lead pipes and water systems and and things like that. And that the ESG part really, really got cut down.
0: And that's why I like your work so much, because you really look beyond just what initial people would think about an infrastructure package, even though it might be, you know, X of what people think on on the face, you're getting behind it a little bit to see what actually is going to drive that. And I think that's where a lot of the real money is made. And you see what the Russell has done. Does that, Build confidence in a position that's working beyond what the, what the index is doing. Or do you ever use the index to potentially hedge it? I mean, what is your thought process when you see something like this do this and then the Russell doesn't follow through or any of the indices, um, that are maybe you think should be correlated to something that you're looking at?
6: So, yeah, I mean, definitely I'm looking at, I always, even if I'm not exactly trading, you not know, like the futures market, RTY, right? If I'm not, you know, trading at it, I'm consistently looking at it, right? Because I want to see kind of what, what the price action is. And, you know, it started to roll over. I saw a double top looking. And so for me, that was out to, you know, cut that, you know, cover that particular position. So we'll kind of use it as a guide when I'm not using it as a trading tool, like when I'm not actually trading.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I have for you is, because you, we are a futures background, you and I, I mean, that's where we come from. And, you know, I'm starting to trade crypto. I, I trade a little bit of stocks, but very little. I, I would use the term trade loosely. i mostly buy stuff on for longer term swing possessions. So I feel more like I'm investing, than I am trading, you know, coming from the future side. It's hard to compare anything what we do from a future side to when we get into right. something else, because it's so much less active. What do you believe some of the skills you've learned from being a futures trader that have actually helped you um, with trading like some of these names?
6: I mean, I think that and I I use the word trading loosely because I like you hold stocks. You know, I mean, I'm looking yeah. at I want to hold stock for a, a few months. Right. Yeah. Um, so but, you know, I think that's really, you know, trading futures because the market's so fast and furious and you're trading it on like on a daily basis i think you recognize chart patterns a lot faster because that's what you're doing all day right every day In yeah. um, a plethora of different markets so for me you know it was like chart pattern recognition i you know was a huge strength that i gained from you know say day trading futures markets
0: talk to us about just what we all deal with is and with fear as traders well i mean it
7: we we got to look at emotion more holistically and say you need emotion to drive your decision making, uh, to drive you towards your goals. You know, I, I saw the the Jordan you know uh, shirt behind you. He was a master of being able to to control his emotions, and for him, anger was his big motivator, right? So we look at the the best of the best. They have a mastery of their emotions to be able to kind of find the right formula to produce the best outcomes for them. So for you to use fear in that way. I think is 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 common, and where I would question, not necessarily for you, but for uh, other traders, is that driver limiting you in some way? Is it uh, affecting your decision making in some way? And if the answer is no, and it's only additive, you know, giving you the right motivation, uh, giving you the right kind of clarity and focus when you when it comes to execution, then it's not a problem. It's actually helping you, right? We can look at this like kind of upside down U curve. Uh, It's called the Yerkes-Dodson law. Um, it basically defines this relationship between performance and emotion. And if your emotion is too low, you suck. If your emotions are too overactive, you suck equally too. We're looking for yeah, to totally. this right formula right at the top where you know, you have this right balance and and you've kind of found that for you.
0: So many people say you need to learn how to trade without any emotion. Yeah, Obviously, you and I both agree that's just, just a bunch of nonsense. Right. And people yeah. that say that they can do that, uh, I just find it, you know, it's just, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get into that, but called yeah, denial. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I'm going to, you know what? And I'm going to say mm-hmm. this I was somebody who felt that I was trying to achieve that until I finally embraced the fact that I could use my emotions as an edge. And fear was one of them. Yeah. And I really looked at fear and said, look, it, how many times are you going to do this to yourself? How many times are you, are, are you through? I mean, that's what I, these are the discussions I'd have with myself in the mirror. Are you done? Are, are you done blowing up this money? Are you done making these mistakes you keep making over and over again? And that's when you get on tilt, too. I think that, you know, they, to me, fear and tilt, they're so intertwined, at least in my mind, in my trading, because I would look at the mistakes I made and the fear of making them again. And then when I would make them again is when I would go on tilt, right? I mean, yep. they kind of just like fed each other.
7: Yeah, mistake tilt is what that would be called. And and a lot of that self criticism is misguided because you're not really understanding why those mistakes are occurring, right. So, you know, maybe back in the day, right, fear wasn't that pure motivator for you. And we need to actually kind of peel back the layers and find out what are the flaws behind there? That's, that's creating this bias that you're imprinting into the market and clouding your judgment, causing these mistakes that that's where fear is really problematic. If we look at it at a very basic level, Fear is a useful tool for you know, picking up and absorbing a lot of data. If, if, you're, if you're able to remove a, a vast majority of your own bias, then what's left? right? Now, actually, the fear could be a signal of some intuition that you have either about your positions, about the market. You know, I'm not always saying that it's 100% accurate, but I am saying that when, when your emotions are more clear, they can be representative of you know, your system, your strategy, and how it's interacting with market conditions.
0: How do you become more clear for me it was that conversation i had with myself where i'm like look it you're just fighting this instead of just embracing it stop fighting it embrace it how do people get to that point
7: i mean you guys are masters of being able to to uh, you know uh, identify opportunities within price movement and volume and you know you're looking at levels all the time like you you, you to, to to novice traders what you do looks like wizardry right but it's not it's just a ton of work Pouring over details and nuances and seeing patterns and having conversations. Imagine, imagine doing 1% of that for identifying your own patterning within your emotions. And, and all of a sudden, you create an incredible skill set to see in real time the escalation of emotion. So, so you mentioned the mapping of your pattern. I mean, that that is the first thing that traders need to do is to be able to just do a little bit of a, of a kind of a um, self-analysis. Sometimes in real time, right, depending on the type of trading you're doing, you know, have a notepad next to you and capture the thoughts that come to mind, capture the specific emotions, the situations, the triggers, like what specifically is throwing you off. Is it a particular type of setup? Is it a particular type of market condition? Is it a day like today when, you know, there's uh, big reports coming out news coming out? Uh, those situations, so you're trying to kind of map all of that. And, and when you do that, you can start to then use the book and you know, kind of do this sort of self-diagnostic, self-assessment to see, ah, okay, if I'm having these thoughts, it means that my fear of failure is related to this attachment I have to unrealized gains. And yeah, I'm thinking money is mine before it's mine. And then, of course, when I see a position dropping against me, I'm going to start to feel nervous and want to close it out and lock it up. But it's only happening because I'm thinking money is mine prematurely. You're saying that you're trading intraday and you're using profile and order flow. I honestly
0: don't think I know really anyone that I've spoken to that's looking at it through that lens. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the people that I've spoken to about trading Bitcoin are not trading intraday, but you're trading it intraday and using the same tools like you said like Dalton is using and, and taught to trade Bitcoin. And yeah. my first thought is on that is how are you getting the 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 right order flow um, numbers, the data, like the S and P, to me, that's the center of the universe, right? So if you're yeah. trading the ES, you you are pretty confident, right, that the order flow that you're getting there is is what you're seeing, right? Right. Bitcoin, there's so many different places pulling it, um, where you're getting the order flow. I guess I don't know how you're actually doing that. I mean, that's one of the first things I wanted to say is explain how you're where you're getting that information. Yeah. From. So that is
8: definitely one of the. Main differences um, between you know crypto or if you're trading traditional futures markets is in crypto it's it's extremely fragmented. Yes. Right? So you have to be aware of sort of what the dominant exchanges are, where most of the dominant flow is is coming from, and a lot of what my trading involves. And for example, you know it's the same but scaled down on the higher timeframes as it is on the lower timeframes. You know, identifying, positioning, um, who is, again, who is in control, where the market's, you know, these same Dalton concepts, where the the market's trying to go, the amount of effort that's coming in. I'm, a lot of the times when I'm position trading and swing trading, and I'll get back down to the uh, intraday, I'm focusing on things like the financing, right? So paying attention to, for one example I'll give you is, is Bybit. So Bybit is a derivative exchange right? So their popular product is their perpetual swap. Uh, they have a coin margin perpetual swap, and they have a USDT margin perpetual swap. And, you know, what, what I'll focus on is at a significant level, at, again, a major tur- turning point for the market, um, who is sort of taking the lead, right? If we break above the all-time high, and, and like we've we've had the last couple of days, and it's purely futures-driven, right? And I see, for example, that there is, you know, a ridiculous basis as there was between something like a Bybit perp and something like Coinbase Spot Market. Well, that's definitely an area where I want to de-risk and not really be involved in yeah. the long side of things anymore. Um on the intraday, a lot of it is focusing on perp flow. So what I'll be doing is again sort of defining what my important levels are for the day, right? The areas where I think, you know, again, where again, participation should come into the market where I'll look for either acceptance through the level or absorption at the level. Uh, And then I'm looking for how, for example, the perp markets, so in this case, Bybit, uh, is behaving at that level, right? I'll be focusing on also how the spot market is behaving as well. Ideally, what you wanna see is you don't wanna see, unless you're through a level and it's sort of like you're off to the races, uh, and you're momentum driven. You don't want to see that the perp market or the perpetual swaps rather, um, are trading well above and beyond the spot market. Uh, and a lot of the times my lower time frame trades will involve me seeing certain behavior on the tape or certain behavior on the footprint that I know is not going to lead to immediate continuation before being punished in the short term., uh, so there's just some things you could look for. Uh on, for example, Bybit, uh, you could look for it on BitMEX as well. So it is kind of like you're managing a lot of different flows, which is definitely a pain in the butt. Um, but there's certain behaviors that you could just see consistently, right? You see that there's this pattern of when a certain amount of volume comes through the tape uh and prices just consistently stalling at the same level. Well, you're probably gonna see that, that unwinds and and you know you could look for at that point you're looking for a hundred basis points or 150 basis points and your business is done. And that happens all the time. So, you know, that is, that's something that I am trading more whenever there's a lot of momentum in the market, because constantly someone is getting offsides in the short term on the lower timeframes. Um, My intraday trading, when we were not momentum driven, like I want to say right now, we're not momentum driven is I would say it's like intraday swing trading. So, I'm looking for areas where I could really cleanly define risk. Um, I'm looking for, again, the signs and semblance of some type of spot support in this case. And I don't think we necessarily have it. Uh, and I'm sort of swing trading within um, our local structure from sort of one sticky point to the next.
0: Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode, go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's
4: radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.